Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant over there, and Jerry's lingering somewhere out there, and uh, this is Stuff You Should Know. It's Pogs. It's Pogs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's how the theme song went. Actually, I think it was a little more extreme and in-your-face than that. Yeah. Uh, you know who is a big Pog enthusiast is friend of the show, Jesse Thorne of the Maximum oh, yeah. Fun Network. I did not know that. I've heard him talk about it. I mean, he's he's the right age for that wheelhouse, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I've heard him talk about it on Judge John Hodgman, and I'm... Um, with great enthusiasm, and I'm always like, <laughs> "What are pogs? I've never even heard of these." Yeah, because I'm an old. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd heard the word before, but I had no idea what really they were, or what you did with them, or anything oh, like okay. that. So, so a little before your time too, then, or oh after yeah, your time. A, a lot after my time. I mean, you had to basically be ten, eleven, maybe twelve in the maybe. early nineties. I'll give you thirteen between 1992 and 1994. Maybe okay. five. <laughs> Very specific niche window. But these things were so big that it's just like if you were a kid in the 90s kind of thing, like you played Pogs. Like everybody was playing with Pogs for like two years. And it, it was kind of like the definition of a flash in the pan fad. Yeah. And we should thank uh, HowStuffWorks.com, MentalFloss, uh, FirstWeFeast.com. That was a good article. <laughs> it was pretty good. And then uh, Military.com for our, our little – Cherry on top at the end. <laughs> That's great. Man. We'd like to thank the military industrial complex for the cherry on top as a whole. <laughs> so, um, you're a child of the 70s. I'm a child of the 80s. We had our own thing. But again, this is a, a thing of the 90s. And with pogs, um, it, it's like if you, I'm trying to think of a fad that was like big when, when we were young. And I really honestly can't think of anything. Not Nothing akin to this. I mean, like, I want to say Nintendo, maybe, the original NES, but I would hardly call that a flash in the pan, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Pogs, to me, represent something different because they were, they had two functions. They functioned as kind of trading cards right. of sorts, but it was also a game. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're listening and frustrated already, we should say very quickly that Pogs, these little circular... Discs. Uh, discs. And we'll get into, you know, the ins and outs of them. And no, this is it. This is our one <laughs> shot at explaining it right here. And there was a game played around them, which we will get into as well. But they also functioned as things that kids would were just obsessive about trading. Like you have a a, a Pope John Paul Pog, and I really want it. So I'm going to trade you my McDonald's Pog and my, uh, I don't even know what was popular in the 90s. My grunge Beavis pog. and Butthead Pog. <laughs> yeah, there was probably Beavis and Butthead Pog. Oh, there I definitely were. I've yeah. seen pictures of them on the internet. Sure, that means it's real. <laughs> I don't know if anybody went to the trouble of photoshopping <laughs> that, but I guess it's possible. We should question everything we see on the internet, I guess. And this also crosses over with The Simpsons because mm -hmm. uh, very famously Millhouse traded Bart's soul away uh -huh. for a set of Pogs in one episode. That's right, and it comes full circle, Chuck, because there were a lot of Simpsons pogs as well. Oh, I'm sure. Can you name the character of um, that were on the pogs that uh, Milhouse traded Bart's soul for? <laughs> uh, do you know? Yes. What? Alf. 
Oh, they were Alf Pogs. Alf is back in Pog form. That's That's pretty funny. Yeah. So what I was trying to get at earlier was like, there was like this, um, that Pogs were like a huge, huge flash in the pan fad that just burned white hot and then just went away very Mm -hmm. quickly. But the the thing that makes them interesting is not so much that they were some, you know, neat two-year trend in the 90s, but that they were actually based on a much older uh, game and that that was actually based on a much older game as well. And that it was just almost like this, uh, the most recent iteration of this idea for a game that just keeps popping up every few hundred years and makes you wonder when it's going to pop up again in the future. Yeah, which I think make is a good mm-hmm. distinction. That makes it kind of cooler and more interesting mm-hmm. than definitely your average Furby or unless there were ancient Furbies that we don't know about. They've yet to be discovered at Kettle Huyuk. Yeah, that's a movie. <laughs> they have Furby was discovered. Yeah, yeah, ancient Furbies. Those things were kind of 90s too, right? They were after our time. I think so. I don't know much about Furbies, but this is, you know, this is in a long line of our sort of pop culture toys, forgotten toys uh, episodes. Yeah, now that you mention it, we probably should have saved this one for Christmas. Nah, we'll find something else. So we were talking about how Pogs, this game, these little discs that you you play with were based on a much older game. And uh, it turns out that there was a a person, uh, a woman who was a teacher and a guidance counselor in Hawaii at um, Waialua Elementary School in Oahu, who in 1991 said, gather around, children. Uh, I noticed that you guys are playing a little rough on the playground, that dodgeball has been coated with um, tar and broken glass, Mm -hmm. and I'm not very happy about that. I want you guys to try something different. Let's try something that my grandparents used to play and that I played when I was a little kid your age, and it's called Milk Caps. I'm going to show you how to do it. And she introduced these kids to this game of Milk Caps, and you would think it would be kind of snoozy, but I think this demonstrates just how engrossing but also simple the game of Pogs actually is, that this old-timey game captured these 1991 school kids' attention Mm -hmm. and then just spread like wildfire, as it's been put. Yeah, her name uh, was—she's got a great name. Her name was Blossom Galbiso. Mm -hmm. Fantastic name. And uh, this is, like you said, in 1991, and sadly, she passed away in 1994. Yeah. So she, I guess, got to see some of the the light, bright-burning— of kind of what she brought to the forefront of the children's playgrounds. She did. I've seen interviews with her, and um, there were plenty of photos of her. Like, people knew where this came from as it was going on, too. Maybe she didn't see it die off, which would be kind of really nice. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Her last words were, Pogs are going to live forever. (laughs) That would be really nice, actually. What a way to go. (laughs) It would be. But, yeah, she burned bright and hot and short like uh, her creation. Should we... Do we go back to to Japan, or should we talk more about this and then go well, back? Yeah, I think we should talk more about milk caps and then take it back from there because um, she used to play this as a kid, and you, I think she was born in 1949. So say she was playing this in the late 50s, early 60s. But like I said, her grandparents, I guess like she said through me, um, her grandparents had played it as well. So this game of milk caps was just like pogs, they were, um, you would use these little cardboard discs and they were called milk caps because they were actually the caps that you would get on a bottle of milk. 
they would use a cardboard cap to seal the bottle of milk. And then I think they would put like a rubber thing around it to hold the, the cardboard cap on. But for all intents and purposes, the cap was this little cardboard disc. And it would have like the dairy's name on it and the information and probably like, you know, the latest date it could be sold by, that kind of thing. Um, but when you took these things off and you stacked them up into a pile, you could make a pretty good game out of them, a game called Milk Caps. Right. And we'll get to the exact gameplay in a second, but they were playing with milk caps mainly uh, there on Maui from, or I'm sorry, in Oahu from these milk caps from Maui, the Haleakala Dairy, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, they were they were sending this milk all over the place. They were actually packaged by a, uh, or getting packaging from a Canadian company that were actually manufacturing these caps. And they were making the milk. It was just fine. I'm sure they did a great business. They did. But then they decided to make a new drink called uh, Passion Orange Guava or Passion Fruit Orange Guava, mm-hmm. P-O-G. Mm-hmm. And it was a, like it sounds, it's a little mixed juice drink. Uh, it sounds amazing. Those. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't wait to try it one day. I bet it's good. So those little caps, you know, that's where they got the name. It was Passion Fruit Orange Guava, so they became known as Pog Caps. And even though... You know, as the the years trickled on, the very few years that it burned white hot, uh, there were many other caps. It was sort of like the Kleenex, like everyone called them Pogs, regardless of where they came from. Right. I'm sure there's plenty of people who played with Pogs as kids and had no idea that it was an acronym for passion fruit, orange, and guava, you know? I bet most kids didn't know that. But because it was that dairy— what is it? Uh, I practiced saying it a bunch of times because we just screwed up so badly on our Hawaiian overthrow episode. I would say uh, Haleakala. I think it is, but I think the accent's actually on the last syllable. Haleakala. Haleakala. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but so this, because it was a dairy, they were just using milk caps for their pog juice as well because they were packaging it very similarly. But because people didn't really buy milk in bottles anymore, the pog caps were much easier to come by because everybody was drinking pog because ostensibly it was just this delicious drink. Yeah. So so um, juice. Exactly. So Blossom Galbiso and her um, young wards started like bringing these caps in from school and then eventually writing to um, the dairy and asking for them and then eventually writing to Stanpack, like you were saying, and saying, do you have any more of these caps that we can get? Because we, we could use them. And we don't, we've drank so much Pog, we all have diabetes now, but um, we still want to play. But we just can't drink any more Pog. That's right. And Stanpack, I don't think I named it. That was the Canadian packaging company. Yes, yeah, which is still around today. Yeah. I looked them up. You can buy all sorts of lids. I cannot find those cardboard pog inserts any longer, but if you want some um, to-go coffee lids, Stampack is your company. Do this episode, still... by the way, is brought to you by Stampack. <laughs> uh, do they still have the pog juice? You can still get that, right? I think it's like in a carton now. Yes. Um, I could not find it anywhere. I don't know if you have to be on the West Coast to find it. But you can make your own. It's just equal parts passion fruit, guava, and orange. Uh, I've also seen that it's best served ice cold. And um, I bet it's good with vodka. I, I saw a recipe with vodka, yes, and then also one with uh, aquavit and rum, which sounds pretty great. It does. And now I'm seeing it's on a, uh, a big box website that we dare not name. 
Okay, that is not, <laughs> I don't think that that is uh, Halea Kala Dairy's version. I think that's another company's because I saw that on the same big box website. And they can call it Pog? I Yes, and we'll get to why. Oh, uh, well, gosh, good point. Yes, isn't it? So much Now intrigue. we see it full circle <laughs> on this big box website. All right. I think we should take a break. This is too much intrigue <laughs> even for me to take. Okay. Uh, and then we'll come back after this and talk about its more ancient traditions right after this. Booyah! All right, so we're back. We got Blossom, it's early 90s. Blossom Galbiso is worried about (laughs) violence on the playground, introduces these kids to this sort of antiquated, silly game, and they love it. They do. But how did this thing get to Hawaii to begin with? You may ask. I can tell you how it got there. I can actually tell you the date, Chuck. (laughs) Let's hear it. February 8th, 1885. A ship called the City of Tokyo, spelled T-O-K-I-O, arrived in Hawaii um, with 900 Japanese immigrants aboard looking for work in the sugarcane fields of Hawaii. And that was the first Japanese immigrants in the modern age who showed up in the late 19th century and began this huge influx of Japanese immigrants. And you might say, well, what the heck does that have to do with milk caps? And I would say, calm down, settle down. We can tell you that, too. Uh, and then I'd, I'd wait a little while until I'd gotten to the, to, to the point where I feel like you have calmed down. And then I would proceed with, it's actually based, Milk Caps is based on a Japanese game that these 900 Japanese immigrants presumably brought with them because it was that popular in Japan. That's right. It was called Menko, M-E-N-K-O, and it was a card game in Japan that uh, came about in the Kamakura period from about 1185 to 1333 BCE. That's old. That's pretty old. And so what happens in that game is a player puts down a card, and then their opponent tries to flip that card over by throwing their card. It sounds really difficult Uh because it sounds like it's just one card that you're throwing at another single card. It's way harder than Pog. And if you flip the card over, you get both of those cards. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not like Pogs in, in one way, in the gameplay way, which we'll get to, but Minko was very much like Pog in that these little uh, cards actually had symbols of cultural icons in Japan. They had warriors on there and wrestlers. They, they were not uh, – they were cardboard later on, but I think mm-hmm. they were like wood or ceramic or clay earlier on. Yeah, and when they were a game called, I think, Mangetto – uh, they were made of clay, and they actually more resembled Pog chips um, or discs bef- than they did than Menko did, mm-hmm. uh, because Menko turned them into like what looked like I think they were considered the predecessor of trading cards. Yeah, um, these Menko cards, right? They are. So, but before that, when they were little clay tablets, they were little disc shapes, and they had like pictures and everything on them. So they seemed more like Pogs then than they did by the time they arrived in Hawaii. Right. But again, just trying to flip over a disc by throwing another disc at it, mm-hmm. it seems really difficult to accomplish to me. 
It definitely does. So um, what the kids in Hawaii did with this game of Minko was they um, they turned it into this milk cap game using milk caps, which are widely available to them. And rather than one milk cap trying to overturn another milk cap, you just stack a bunch of them together and try to overturn as many as you could. A lot easier. Way easier. So much easier that, like, you could really get the interest of some, like, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, again, is as high as I'm going That's the on cutoff. Um, <laughs> year old kid's attention, you know? Yeah, and it, it probably matters about your family and birth order because if you're – I could see maybe if you're a 14-year-old only child getting into it. But if you're 14 and you've got a 9-year-old little brother or sister, mm-hmm. you're going to make fun of their pogs. Yeah, if you're a – what was it? A Juliet? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, allowed to play never pogs. Do that. you're allowed to play Pogs at 14. No, no, no. no the, oh, that's what okay, I'm saying, the 14-year-old yeah, only sure. child. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Poor little Juliet. <laughs> yeah. So she's got this game going. Blossom has got this game going. Or I mm-hmm. guess they called her Miss Galbiso. Sure. And there was a man named Alan Rapinski who saw dollar signs. This is uh, crazy. It is crazy. Because like we said, Stan Pack was making these bottle caps in Canada. And he said, you know what? Kids are really liking this game. I'm really curious how he had his fingers so on the pulse. That's what I'm saying. He was in California, and this is just going on in Hawaii. And it's not like Hawaii and California don't communicate at all or didn't in the 80s or early 90s. Well, it it started to come over. And when it did start to come over to the mainland, it definitely started in California first. So Right, but I have the impression that he brought it over to the mainland, that he found out about some— hot trend that had just started in Hawaii and got in on it from California. That's my take on it. Well, you know what doesn't help is every article I read says he somehow caught wind. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> he might have gone over there on business or something. Who knows? It may and have. It was like, know, what's this, what are all these kids doing throwing these bottle caps all around? That's, yeah, either that or else somebody told him about it and he was like, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? I want to know more about it. He was a guy who had a real nose for uh, potential. Like he was the man who bought the patent for a little leather protectant um, that was called Trinon, I think, at the time, but he turned it into Armor. Armorall. Yeah. He was the guy that brought the world Armorall. He didn't invent it, but he figured out how to market it and turn it into something huge. Um, remember that non wrinkle spray? You could spray your clothes and it would get the wrinkles out. Yeah, sure. I think it was called Wrinkle Free or something like that in the okay. in the eighties. <clears throat> he yeah. he uh, marketed that. Just a bunch of like interesting stuff. So he found out about pogs. He caught wind of it one way or another. <laughs> I bet I know how it happened. How? I bet he went to Hawaii on business. Okay. Is always kind of keen to his you know goings on around him because he's always looking for that next million dollar idea. Sure. And he saw the first fist fight break out with these kids <laughs> over right. a set of. Pogs that they wanted to trade or or a winner-take-all game. And he saw this bloodthirst and was like, I can make money off of that. Yeah, that. And then he did the other thing he was well-known for. He ran over and broke up the fight by spraying both of the combatants with armor all, and they just slipped right <laughs> off of one another and couldn't land a single punch. And when they got wrinkled up, he sprayed them with wrinkle-free. Uh, wrinkle right. Yeah, that's right. Great story. 
<laughs> so, yeah, you're probably right, because that is kind of what the ultimate destiny of Pogs was, and he was largely responsible for that, because um, if if Blossom Galbiso was the mother of Pogs, this guy was the, the father of Pogs. He was the guy who, and as far as I know, you know, they were not in any way maritally related or anything like that. Um, they were so. just related by Pogs. But he took it and just introduced the world to it, um, just as this marketing guy. And he actually formed a group called the World Pog Federation within, I think, a year of Blossom Galbiso introducing this for the first time to her students in Hawaii. The World Pog Federation had been created by Alan Rapinski and his his company. Yeah, and he did something very, very key to this story <clears throat> or in this story. Uh, kind of when you mentioned about Haleakala and the fact that they did not uh, have great financial gain from this. It's because Rapinski saw the writing on the wall and said, hey, why don't you sell me that brand name, that Pog brand name? Because, like, who cares? Like, you don't care, right? You're just pumping out this juice. You right. can still pump out that juice. Yeah. And they said, sure. And they sold him the Pog brand name. And that was it. They were sort of cut out of, uh, I mean, I guess for a little while, they still, people were maybe buying their stuff a little more than usual to get these Pog caps. Uh-huh. But that they weren't like getting juice, uh, no pun intended, from you know from like the rights to sell these things. They were, as a matter of fact, from what I from what I can tell, I think I saw in like a L.A. Times article or something from the nineties that they got fifteen percent, a fifteen percent cut of rep. So he did cut them in. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's so it good. wasn't like entirely like, you know, this L.A. businessman fleeced some Hawaiian dairy farmers entirely. Like they were cut in. But I, I think the big thing is like that as far as the, the dairy was concerned, they had no real role in this other than accepting, you know, some money. And that, big fat checks for a few years, I guess. Sure. Yeah, sure. And that's a, a bit of a – it was a – Ultimately, a misstep on their part. But Rapinski, you know, he he's he's very much credited with, you know, introducing this to the world. But he's also credited with making this thing burn so hot that it was just inevitable that it was going to last a very, very short time. And a lot of people kind of say, you know, that was a, a screw-up. He shouldn't have done it like that. But I also have the impression that he knew that this thing— no matter what he did, it's not like Pogs were always going to be around, that they were the new baseball cards or anything. So I think he came along and was like, we need to get as much money as we yeah. possibly can out of this because it's not going to last for very long. And he proceeded to do that. Yeah. So he created uh, Pogman, the mascot. Uh, <laughs> like he said, they started having these tournaments. Everybody, I mean, I was not kidding about Pope John Paul. I think they bought like 50,000, mm -hmm. the Catholic Church Pogs when the Pope came to New Jersey in 1995 to give them out. Mm -hmm. um, Bill Clinton was on one. They had uh, altruistic campaigns. They had the Dare, uh, the Dare Not to Do Drugs campaign started making pogs. And, of course, the major chain restaurants got involved in Del Taco and Taco Bell and McDonald's, Disneyland, everybody, anything that you could put on a pog. Because, you know, these kids are holding these things and trading these, these things. It was like liquid gold. Yeah to an advertiser because they were everywhere and kids were fighting, yeah. like literally fighting over them. So anyone and everyone tried to get an image on a POG cap, even if it wasn't the official like licensed one. Yeah. I mean, like if you released a movie during the POG era, you probably made POGs for it, especially if Alf. there was a, 
<laughs> Alf, yeah. Um, there's there's a set of Pulp Fiction ones that are pretty cool. Really? Um, yes, there are. I would think that would be just on the bubble. I would think so too, but nope. It was they. I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, All on right, the internet, so I guess somebody could have photoshopped them. But um, Jurassic Park uh, had a set of hologram ones that were pretty cool. Yeah, that, those were cool. I think somebody tried to sell them for a million million dollars on eBay and. I don't believe they actually got a million dollars yeah. for them. <laughs> people the like, coolest, give you a hundred. I think that's probably about how it went. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, people want pogs to be worth a lot more than they are, and they're just not. I mean, it's right. just too recent, and there's too many of them. Um, one I saw that seemed legitimately like about a hundred dollars was a Stussy one, which was super cool. It's like silver, shiny like kind of hologram. company? Yeah. Yeah, and then it's got like the reggae colors on it and everything. It's a pretty cool pog, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I don't even know if I would have been in the wheelhouse. Like, I think a lot of this depends on, and we'll get to this in a second. Like, you're, you're playing it at school some, but then the schools try and shut it down because it's very disruptive. Mm-hmm. So then you have to live in one of those great neighborhoods where there's thousands of houses and kids are just all over the place. And mm-hmm. you know, as I've said before, I grew up in the woods on two acres of land with nary another child in sight, except for my brother. So I think it kind of depended on that kind of after school trading and the cul-de-sac thing that I never got a piece of. No, you had to play pogs with dirt friend, the pile of dirt you named (laughs) your friend. I did have dirt friends. (laughs) It's not funny. I wasn't trying to be funny. Uh, Okay. (laughs) There is nothing funny about that, Chuck. No. Um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers were another big one. Oh, of course. I'm sure those, yeah, that was a big deal at the time. Very huge. And then, like, so, yeah, if you if you wanted to brand the kids, this was a great opportunity to do it. Now, legitimately, you had to go through the World Pog Federation because all these things were supposedly <laughs> pogs. And if yeah. you wanted to print your own pog, it didn't matter who you were. You had to go license the ability to do this from Alan Rapinski and the World Pog Federation. The problem is... If you own the license, the trademark, to a little cardboard disc that anybody could make if they wanted to. Like the technology is really easy and low-hanging to make these kind of things. That, yes, it's going to be like a large business like Taco Bell, who's just not going to be bothered with a major lawsuit that will cost them more than it would to, to license the rights to make pogs and give them out as like, you know, some promotional tool. Um, but any like anybody who's even remotely interested in the knockoff market just dove in head yeah. first into pogs and the market became saturated really fast, not just with Rapinski's officially licensed pogs. There are plenty of those, but also just knockoff. Knockoffs galore. Yeah, there, the, there's a couple of staggering statistics here. Uh, it says here in California alone, at one point, pogs were selling $10 million a week mm-hmm. in one state. And then, uh, and of course, Jesse Thorne's from California. So it may have been, oh, I mean, yeah. I know they were nationwide and then worldwide, but I get the feeling that California was a real pog hotspot. That's my impression as well. Uh, but in 1994, well, I guess there it is, 1994, Pulp Fiction year, mm-hmm. um, 350 million pogs sold. So it was, yeah, it was still going strong in 94. Yeah. I had, yeah. So kids were trading GIMP, uh, <laughs> GIMP pogs. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> or ones that say, like, oh, I'm about to get medieval on. <laughs> yeah. 
so we we can conclude then, Chuck, since they were still going strong in 1994. Blossom Galbiso died in 1994, so she did not have to see the end of the pog trend. She she went out on top. Look at that detective work. Isn't that great? And they buried her with a pog of the the back of Ving Rhames' head. (laughs) That's right, with a (laughs) Band-Aid on it. (laughs) You want to take another break? Sure. Uh, quickly, though, I want to plug, since we're talking Pulp Fiction, I had uh, Jack O'Brien of oh, the yeah. Daily Zeitgeist on, and we talked Pulp Fiction, and it's out in the world, and it was a great discussion. So That's awesome. Man. If you like Pulp Fiction and movie conversations, check it out. And Jack O'Brien, too. Jack's the best. We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. Pogs have burned bright. They've started to kind of fizzle, though, right? Yeah, and, you know, I kind of uh, hinted at it. One of the reasons was that schools, they had to clamp down on this thing because there were fights over Pogs. Because if you play, uh, if you played uh, playing for keeps, that meant, and we'll go over the the full, I guess we kind of went over the gameplay, but should we? Yeah, you want to now? Yeah, I guess so. The first thing you decide is, are you playing for keeps or not? Playing for keeps means that you go home with the pogs that you collect from your friends, Mm -hmm. and you don't, there's no givesies, backsies. Uh, And those are are serious games if you're 10 years old, you know? You know, what's funny is you just used two terms used for marbles, which bears a striking resemblance to pogs as well, or at least the way you play marbles and some of the rules involved. Yeah, because you collect these things as a kid, and you really, if you have to give up that gimp, Pog, yeah, you're really upset that you've you've lost that thing. So fights would break out, and schools start to have to clamp down and literally banned it in quite a few countries at one point. Yeah, because I mean, also this is a game of chance. We're we're going to tell you how to play in a second. It'll become very clear that it's almost entirely luck, um, and so it's gambling. There's you know if you're playing for chips and these things are or you're playing for pogs. I mean, and these things are coveted. Um, yeah, little little kids don't necessarily deal with loss like that, especially sudden unexpected loss that they hadn't really anticipated the consequences of. Um, and yeah, you can get in fights, you accuse people of stealing. It's it, it was it, pogs became problematic very quickly. But this was also during the same era where Bart Simpson, you know, touting that he was an underachiever, mm. got T-shirts of Bart Simpson banned in schools. Yeah. So schools were. Seemingly a little stricter back then in the early 90s than they are today. Although I can't say than they are today. It just seems strict now in retrospect. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I'm going to stop the people from emailing you right now. Okay. And do you a favor, my friend. Thank you. Because you said that it's basically luck. And I guarantee you there are some 30-something to early 40-something POG enthusiasts <laughs> that are really mad at you right now. Mm-hmm. That had their pog technique down mm-hmm. that they claim was like superior to their friends, and that there was skill involved. Well, I so appreciate the emails. you saving me a bunch of time replying <laughs> to all those emails saying you are wrong, wrong, wrong. You think because, it's luck? Yeah, it is luck. So yeah, so let's talk about how to play this, right? So um, when you play pog, you need basically a flat surface and a bunch of pogs. Mm-hmm. You need at least one other person. And from what I was reading on the internet, it seemed that that was usually how many people were in a pog match. There's two. A one-on-one? 
Mm-hmm. Right. Each person puts up the same number of pogs, and apparently the um, ideal stack of pogs is twelve. So each person's ponying up six pogs, whether well, they're the most you, coveted or not. I don't yeah, know. That's but, only if you want to follow the unofficial pog and cat players handbook written by Jason Page. Exactly. Yeah. Who probably knows what he's talking about, at least more than I do. So I'm going with his number. So you form a stack of pogs, and um. You get your hands on what's called a slammer. They're all face up, though. You got to say that part. Oh, thanks, man. So, yeah, if you look at a pog, on one side is basically what you like is the design. On the other side, it's either blank or there's minimal design on it. It's very clear that there's one side that's like the face. Mm -hmm. And you said they're face up or down? You put them face up. So, you've got your stack with Bill Clinton on top and the other stack with the gimp on top. Okay. Going head to head. And that is how you start the game. Oh, is it? Okay, so my understanding was that they were all in one stack. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Jeez. Okay, okay. People are so mad at me right now. So then... So <laughs> you then, put them up against each other, then you'd stack them on, like, all all on one. Yeah, you, okay. So you've got a stack of 12 pogs. We should probably edit and redo this whole thing. No, I think this is good. And then you take a slammer. And slammer mm-hmm. is basically a pog-shaped object that's almost like a mini hockey puck. It's made of um, heavier material than pog, than like cardboard. So it's like um, like glass, like a heavy glass kind of thing, or rubber, or metal, or something like that. I wonder but, if there are restrictions on that. No, this is a free-for-all, man. Pog was a free-for-all, which is why the parents just didn't get it, you know, why they couldn't stand it. You could, uh, so you could bring in like an iron slammer? I think so. I saw somewhere that that it was frowned upon among players because the metal would often dent at least the top pog. And if Uh that was your pog, you might be like, man, uh, why'd you dent my pog? But other than that, uh, I don't think there there were restrictions on it. Although, you know, I'm sure informally there were. Like my gimp's got a dented zipper. Exactly. (laughs) But you, you would take the slammer and you would toss it down. Now, here's the part where you were referring to earlier that people were going to email in about. Because it does take some technique to slam this thing down. Because if you miss, or if you if you actually don't move the stack at all, that's your turn. The other person gets their turn next. Um, so it does take some technique to hit the stack in the first place, but then also to scatter them in a certain way, right? And it's the scattering that's the most important part of playing Pog. Yeah, and you know what? I know we're going to get emails. I guarantee you this is a game that had regional variations. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be. It's one of those kids' games where one playground might play it slightly different than another playground as far as the rules go. Sure. Absolutely. And I'm going to stand by that because I know we're going to get people that are going to contradict one another and say that their version was like how they played it was the right way. But uh, until I read that book by Jason Page, which I'm never going to (laughs) do. Oh, I don't know. Maybe somebody will mail it to you. So, yeah, you slam this thing down. And these, uh, this stack of pogs, if you hit it right, is going to kind of scatter everywhere, like you said. And then some of them will have flipped over yeah. with the face side down. Some will remain face side up. And that is sort of the key to the whole game. Yes. So the ones, you've, the ones that have landed face side up, you get to keep if it That's was right. your turn. Now, those might be your buddies' pogs. They might be your pogs. It doesn't matter. Then you take the ones that are still face-side, however they were stacked up, I think you're saying, and then you put them back into another stack, and now it's the other player's turn. You keep going back and forth until all of the, the pogs have been turned over and kept. And however many pogs you turned over, that's how many you get to keep. 
And, you know, again, whether it's your pogs or the other person's pogs, ideally it's everybody's pogs. And then there was another there was another variation I saw that seems to have been pretty widespread. It was the poison pog. And these were usually like kind of a memento mori kind of thing, like scary skulls on fire and, you know, or like an eight ball kind of thing. Um, and it would say poison pog. And the poison pog, if you put one of those in the stack, if you flip that one over, then you got all the all the pogs in that stack on that one turn. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. And this mm-hmm. is another frustration because I, I went to some YouTube videos of like gameplay videos. Mm-hmm. And I saw several that had described the gameplay differently than the others, which leads me to think that there were variations because I saw one person say that you get to keep the pogs that are face down. Uh huh. And that flies in the face of everything I had heard from everyone else. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I think it just, it, it's flipping it over from the way it was before. I don't think it actually matters, but, but yes, you would want to, you keep the ones that you flip over, whether now they're face up or down, who cares? Right, and then I saw another where they said that you stack them, every other one is face up or down, but I didn't see that verified anywhere else either. So Yeah, I didn't run into that one. Yeah, I just, you know, people should say, like, these are Michigan rules, you know, or something like that. <laughs> right. So, you know that slammer, the heavier object that you throw onto the, the pog stack? Um, you can make them out of all sorts of things, and they have different, they often had different, like, uh, imagery on them as well. But mm-hmm. I saw one, and I saw this in multiple places. There was an O.J. Simpson one where it had a picture of O.J. Simpson's <laughs> behind behind bars. <laughs> so he was in the slammer. So he was on the slammer as well. Yeah, that, was, that must have been a been legendary a... slammer because I did I saw that in a couple of places too. Yeah. <laughs> the O.J. slammer. <laughs> I wonder if he got a piece of that. I don't think so, man. And I don't think he's legally allowed to keep it even if he did. And, and then one day he would break into a hotel room and steal those slammers. That's right. Give me the slammers. <laughs> Get them back. Man, I saw a documentary on that robbery. It was nuts. Oh, really? Yeah. I I guess it was. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was that. Um, what was that like five part series on OJ and the murders and everything? Yeah, I remember was that. Was it a did 30 for that? 30 that did it? I don't remember. I know it was just a documentary, I think. Yeah, but they documentary series. But yeah, they covered that robbery too, and it was just, just so casual and dumb, and so casually dumb too. You know, it was just bizarre. No, it really wasn't. So uh, let's see. I I think we've explained how to play pogs about as thoroughly as you possibly can, don't you? I think so. Well, let's talk about how they finally fizzled out. Well, you know, like I said earlier, the, I think the banning on the playgrounds and then the banning or, or at school and then um, I think the U.S., Canada, Sweden, Iceland, Germany, the U.K. and Australia all mm-hmm. banned these pieces in schools. And so that's going to put a damper on something if you're stuck at dumb school all day and you can't have your pogs and you're just limited to the hours between three and six when mom and dad call you back to eat dinner. Okay, on the one hand, but I also saw a contemporary piece of journalism in 1994 that interviewed oh. uh, the founder of um, Trove USA, which was a big pog maker at the time. And uh, he speculated that those school bands actually increased pog sales and probably yeah, that, pro- pro- that, but also probably prolonged the interest because if kids have been free to play these all the time, they would have lost interest that much, that much faster. 
I mean, I think ultimately that's what happened. It's it's like any or it's like many kid fads. It, mm-hmm. it just it becomes not cool. You age out of it a little bit, sure. And maybe the kids below you aren't interested, and it just goes away. I mean, I don't I don't think there's a smoking gun here, do you? Besides OJ, um, I yeah, I would say OJ is probably the culprit for why <laughs> Pogs went away. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think they said in Boys Life magazine. uh, (laughs) This is a great death knell. In a 1998 issue of Boys Life magazine, they basically said it was it was done and not cool anymore. So yeah, they they compared it to things like um, uh, what's that one where you chase a hoop with a stick? Yeah, I know. Like that and playing marbles and all these old timey fads. They included pog among them already. Boys Life said it in 1998, then it probably meant it, it was, went out by 1996. Exactly. It was super out by then. So we kind of mentioned, Chuck, that uh, Haleakala Dairy um, did not really benefit from this. I mean, they did financially. I'm sure 15% cut of all of that hundreds of millions of dollars that was flowing to the World Pog Federation for a couple of years definitely boosted their annual revenue, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But... If you, you know, talk to most people and say, what is what does POG actually mean? They probably yeah. couldn't tell you. And so in that respect, a lot of the articles that I think both of us have seen about this have pointed out quite rightly that, you know, that the dairy really missed a, an opportunity to become like legendary or become a part of the trend. And they were yeah. very quickly separated and POGs became their own thing. In isolation, with with no boost whatsoever to the dairy. Now there's kind of like this kind of retro nod to it that that enough time has passed, and enough people have written and talked about it that the dairy's been identified as the source of of pogs originally. But it didn't happen at the time, and in this kind of retrospective about it is not really probably going to help the dairy very much, which is sad. Yeah, and you know why? Because they were a dairy, right? Like in this one article that they spoke with this creative director at a New York ad agency that was like, you know, this is why you really need to pay attention to what your consumer is doing (laughs) with your brand. Like if they have off-brand uses going on, you need to know about it, capitalize on it and look at McDonald's. And like they're the perfect company with this stuff. And it's just like, man, they were a dairy that in Hawaii. They didn't, they they didn't, they weren't paying attention to that. And they shouldn't have been expected to, I don't think. Sure. No, no, and certainly not. And I think also it's one of those things where the only way that they possibly could have capitalized it is if they had taken the gamble that this was going to be an enormous fad, which would take a right. tremendous amount of foresight. And then also would have had to have hired like a publicist, like the guy that was um, interviewed or quoted in yeah. that, that article. And, They're not going like, to do that. They would have had to have figured it out, and then they could have possibly bungled it. It would have been a big, a big deal. But mm-hmm. also, yeah, they're they're like you said, they're just a they're a dairy, and and that's not the way that they're thinking. But yeah, in in hindsight, it's very easy to blame them. But regardless, I mean, it is it is a little sad that they got kind of left behind. But I don't think that they were any, like, worse for the wear from not having been on yeah. the, the pog crest along with the little caps, the little milk Agreed. caps. Uh, should we go to our cherry on top here at the end? Yeah, thanks to the U.S. military for this cherry on top again. Yeah, this is interesting because I had no idea about this. And uh, I should talk to my brother-in-law because he's certainly been stationed overseas. But um, – so the Army and Air Force Exchange service stores, these are, you know, let's say if the military is overseas in the Middle East or whatever, they're in Afghanistan, and they set up these sort of temporary on-base stores. 
they started issuing pogs, these little cardboard coins, mm-hmm. uh, in November 2001 because they were lighter than metal coins. Uh, you could ship them a lot cheaper overseas. And it was supposed to be like a temporary thing. And, you know, it said how much it was worth, basically. But then they started having uh, pictures on it and, and comic book characters and NASCAR drivers and stuff like that. <laughs> People so just can't resist. <laughs> no. But they were essentially pogs. And, you know, I don't see anything that they actually played the game. But they functioned as currency for American service people in Afghanistan since 2001 until just recently. Yeah. The, and then this, um, was it military.com article? Yeah. Where they were basically, you know, they interviewed a few people who seemed a little like verklempt that these things had sure. been phased out because they were like this kind of weird little part of their their tour that had that you just wouldn't find anywhere else in the world. And the whole reason the military adopted POGs overseas, at least in Afghanistan, is because it's just so much easier to chip um to ship them. Yeah. And to chip in using them. It requires less effort to toss them into the pot. But the um, like, if you, I think a hundred dollars in quarters, I saw weighs almost six pounds, and a hundred dollars in these little pogs weighs, you know, a, a fraction of that. So just in shipping costs alone, it made sense. But apparently, these these pog coins wormed their ways into the hearts of the uh, U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. I love it. Yep. Well, so long, pogs, and so long the uh, to the military reincarnation of pogs there are no pogs anywhere now in the world at all (laughs) if you want to know more about pogs just start looking them up on the internet and see what you think and since i said that it's time for listener mail i'm gonna call this slime mold enthusiast and it's not from you (laughs) i know there's a fellow slime mold enthusiast (laughs) i'm one of them too now Uh, Hey, guys, loved your slime mold episode and figured I should crawl out from under the leaf litter and get in touch. Uh, (laughs) It's pretty good, huh? Yeah. Uh, I got slime molds about 10 years ago for a kid's lecture and started giving it away so other people could play with these funky, chilled-out beings without having to fork over hard-earned cash. You can dry them out on paper, cut them into portions, and pop them in the post, which makes things very easy. Uh, Things kind of snowball quickly. I've now posted it to, uh, this means mailed, yeah. Uh, for our American listeners. Very nice. Uh, I've now posted it to around 25 countries, ran stands at the UK's biggest science fair, giving out thousands of cultures, and I've gotten uh, and I've got 3,000 about to go to Milan for an art exhibition. Uh, I am even selectively breeding them. That's very awesome. He, he calls them uh, his pets. He said they're much better traveled than I am. Uh, he said they're fantastic things for children and adults to play with giving it a selection of different foods, seeing what it'll go for as uh, as a firm favorite with school classes of all ages. Would you like some, guys? Yes, please. <laughs> They're easy to keep. Uh, same deal as everyone else. It's free. And uh, there's, a, there's a website here. I don't know if this is just for us or if it's for everyone. Well, let's say it, and then um, we can edit it out if, if he's uh, like, no, please don't release that. Okay. It's either you're either going to hear a long beep, <laughs> okay, or you're going to hear this. Censorship, Chuck. That's censorship. <laughs> www.tinyurl.com/slimemanifesto. Nice. Uh, and this has instructions in the backstory. I bet that's for everyone. The um, only thing you got wrong, Chuck, is that it's www. Period. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we get mad at pet ants. 
Are you taking a passive-aggressive shot at me right now? No, it's it's fully aggressive. Okay, good. Uh, thanks to everyone on your team for your brilliant episodes. My job as a microscopist means uh, I'm usually alone in the dark. Your podcast goes a long way to keeping me sane-ish. Mm-hmm. Cheers. That is from Ian Hans Portman. Uh, and then he adds this little postscript. I've accidentally tasted uh, Fiserum several times. It's easy to do when a half square meter of it is hungry and gets loose in your bag. It tastes like a compost heap smells, wow. but with the added bonus of being incredibly bitter. Wow. This is a so, great email, Ian. Thank you for this. Yeah, Ian, this is one of the tops of all time, frankly. It I has agree. it all. And, it has something that we're already <laughs> interested in. Uh-huh. It has an offer to give us something we're already interested in for free. It's British, and it includes accidentally tasting a live organism. Yeah, that, that could, you know, creepily take over your household. Yeah, or your body now that you've eaten it. That's right. Well, um, good luck to Ian surviving the slime mold uh, tasting encounter. I hope that you live long enough to send us some free slime mold because I will definitely take you up on that for sure. For sure. Uh, thanks again, Ian. And if you want to be like Ian and be super cool, you can send us an email too. Send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.